Hello everyone, I'm Pastor Rick Hawkins of Quest Church in Norman, Oklahoma. I want to thank you all for joining us today. This podcast is going to be informative, insightful, and inspirational for your life. Listen every week because we'll have a special word just for you. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 34, and I'm going to read through chapter 16, verse 5. Then Samuel left for Ramah, but Saul went up to his home in Gibeah of Saul. Now let me just stop there and tell you, Gibeah is a backslidden place for Saul. Gibeah is the place where Saul resided when he backslid from God. He went the wrong direction. Verse 35 says, until the day Samuel died, listen to it, he did not go to see Saul again, though Samuel mourned for him. And the Lord was grieved that he had made Saul king over Israel. Verse 1, chapter 16, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? Saul will hear, about, will hear about it and he'll kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. He didn't even address Saul killing Samuel. I'm not even worried about him. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint, there's the word, you are to anoint for me the one I indicate one version says the one I have chosen Samuel did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem the elders of the town trembled when they met him they asked do you come in peace and Samuel replied yes in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord he did not say I have come to anoint someone because you will never receive the anointing without sacrifice. Some of you are asking for an anointing, but you refuse to sacrifice. Consecrate yourselves. Come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. I'm going to preach for four hours today. Y'all know I say that every Sunday. I'm going to preach a few minutes today. A message entitled, A Horn Filled with Oil. Look to three people and say those words, A Horn Filled with Oil. You know what I feel led of the Lord to do this right here? Leave your seat and go to someone across the aisle somewhere and just tell them, God has oil for you today. Just... Just make that move. Let's get a little uncomfortable. Yeah, leave your comfort zone just for a moment.
Then you may be seated. Thank you for that. I'm just checking the atmosphere. Just want to feel the atmosphere. The spirit determines the atmosphere. The atmosphere determines the climate. The climate determines the soil. The soil determines the seed. The seed determines the harvest. If the spirit ain't right, the spirit's not in the room, then we're just in here exercising. But I feel the spirit in the room today. Let me jump in this. Let me jump in this. I love the Old Testament. I believe what is revealed what is spoken in the old is revealed in the new. The mysteries of the Old Testament are unlocked in the New Testament. To the point that I believe that the book of Hebrews in the New Testament is the revelation of the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. And I could go through that. Oh, Lord, I thank you for what I feel. Thank you, Jesus. Prophets of the Old Testament are intriguing to me. If you look at Isaiah, he's an interesting prophet because he's a prophet that looks through the telescopic lens of prophecy in reference to eschatology or the end times. In Isaiah chapter 9, he sees Christ being born. In Isaiah 53, he sees that Christ being crucified, denoting the idea that Isaiah saw the whole spectrum of Christ's life. Prophets in the Old Testament were known as seers. Seers. Of all of the prophets of the Old Testament, Samuel has to be one of my favorite. Samuel is powerful. In reality, Samuel never lets us down. He stands strong as a man of God from the time you meet him until the time he dies. His name literally means, Samuel means, heard of God. God hears me. Samuel, God hears me. You know Samuel. He's born from that barren woman named Hannah that refused to leave the house of God. She knew how to pray. Maybe she was ahead of her time because the Bible says that the priests noticed when she prayed, she prayed with stammering lips to the point that he thought something was wrong with her. Maybe even the possibility of intoxication. But Hannah knew how to travail. 
He's born from a mother that knew how to pray. Oh, for more praying mamas. Woo. I'm talking about mamas that'll get down next to the baby's bed, lay out flat on the floor, cry out to God for the destiny of their children. He picked up on it. He was gifted in prayer just like his mother. Interceding was natural for him. The Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 5, this is Samuel speaking. I will intercede with the Lord for you. He did not say, I will intercede to the Lord with you. He believed he had that kind of prayer life that he prayed with God, not just to God. He would find God's heart and he would pray God's heart for the people. 1 Samuel 3.1, the Bible calls him the boy. The boy, Samuel, ministered unto the Lord. That's really important. Because in 1 Samuel chapter 3, you find that God calls him as a child. He's a boy when God calls him. Chapter 2 verse 21 gets real interesting. Because the Bible says in 1 Samuel 2.21 that the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Back up three verses in verse 18, and the Bible says Samuel was ministering to the Lord. He was a boy wearing a linen ephod. Huh. You weren't even allowed to put on an ephod until you were 30 years old. But in secret, he was practicing his future. All for a generation of young people that would see themselves in their future and start practicing where they are going before they arrive. He's the only man in the Old Testament that's listed as a judge, a prophet, and a priest. This man Samuel was versatile in God. He knew how to change, and he knew how to grow. He was the last judge of Israel. He was God's man. He was God's man. He's the one that God walked through the temple calling out Samuel, Samuel. The voice of the Lord took feet and found this boy. And he wouldn't leave until Samuel said, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. He was God's man of transition. He transitioned the nation of Israel from following judges to following kings. He received the word from God concerning all changes among the people of God. God spoke to him first. Interesting. He saw the priestly role removed from Eli. He saw the kingdom torn from Saul. He saw the ark brought back to the place it was supposed to be after it was taken from the Philistines. Samuel, he knew the ways of God, not just the word of God. He recognized it when things were about to change. 1 Samuel chapter 3 verse 11 says, And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. Huh. I'm about to do something. He didn't tell the nation. He told the man. 
Samuel had this relationship with God that is staggering to the point that God refused to let anything Samuel said fall to the ground. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 3.19 that any words that Samuel spoke between Dan and Beersheba never fell to the ground. Something powerful about operating in your metron. There's something powerful about operating in your mantle. There's something powerful about operating in your measure because when you are in the place that God has assigned you to, God will make sure you're connected to people that can hear you. So none of his words were ever wasted. How many preachers will mount pulpits this morning across this nation and preach messages that they feel like didn't even reach the front row? Interesting. But the prophet, the priest, the judge, when you cross over to chapter 16, has a problem. Verse 1 tells us what the problem is. How long will you mourn? Wait a minute. The man of stability, the man of stature, the man that brings security is now shaken. And God goes down to meet with him in private. The Bible lets us in on a private conversation between God and his man. And God asked his man, how long will you mourn? Where was he? He was in Ramah. The Bible tells us that. That means he was in the high place. That's what Ramah means, the high place. His body was there, but his soul was not. His body was in a high place, but his soul, his emotions were still connected to Saul. And he's grieving. Samuel was mourning because he's the one that anointed Saul. Here's your question. What do you do when you feel you have done everything right and something happens that makes you feel like everything is wrong? I'll ask it again. What do you do when you feel like you've done everything right but something happens and it makes you feel like Everything is wrong. How long will you mourn? How long will you lament? How long will you be well? Mourning is the expression of grief. Mourning is the expression of grief. You know the one thing we all have in common in this building? We have all gone through seasons of grief. Grief is most often a result of loss. You grieve when you lose stuff. You grieve when you lose relationship. You grieve when you lose a loved one. 
You grieve when you lose something that you counted valuable to your life. Don't think it's strange. Jesus, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, was acquainted with grief. I think that's powerful because it doesn't say he's associated with it. He's acquainted with it. Grief was an acquaintance of Jesus. <laughs> Even Jesus felt grief. Mourning. How long will you mourn for Saul? I'm going to keep talking to you. Why is he mourning? Here you go, saints. Because he's trying to hold on to something God let go of. Mm. Let that rush through here. He's trying to hold on to what God let go of. Samuel has never reacted this way to change. I'm going to say that again. His whole life, he's never mourned about change. His whole life, he's never cried or lamented over God changing things. But this one got him. And God, how dare God use this word, rejected. Seeing I have rejected him. The word there in the Hebrew means to cause to disappear or to cast off. God says, I made it disappear. Why are you trying to make something reappear that I made disappear? Let that rest in your mind. Ask yourself that question this morning, why do I keep trying to make things reappear in my life that God himself made to disappear? Ask yourself this question. Why am I trying to carry on with something that God cast off? Things he must have felt. God, you're not only rejecting him, you're rejecting me. Because I was part of the event. Surely he's feeling a sense of loss. Not only that, he doesn't know what's next. Whew. Have you ever been there? You're crying about what's gone, but your tears are really saying, I don't know what's next. Uncertainty will make you weep. It'll make you cry. It'll make you lay on your side in a fetal position and hold your stomach and wail because of not just what you lost, but the fact that you don't know what is next. You feel hopeless. You feel like your future is in jeopardy. He felt like he made a mistake for even being involved. 
I did everything right, and now it's all wrong. And God comes down and sits on the couch with Samuel and says, how long will you mourn? In other words, Samuel, you have mourned long enough. I told you at the preface of this message that God told me that he was going to get you to take one step. And the first thing we're going to deal with is the idea of you mourning over what God has removed from your life. <laughs> In other words, get over it. See, when you get stuck in mourning, you will miss the timing of a move. When you get stuck in regret, you will never have the ability to regroup. I'm reminded of Luke chapter 13 and Jesus walks in the temple and there's a woman there that is bent over for 18 years. Do you know that if you stay stuck in one position long enough, that it's hard for you to come out of that position? It's hard for you to move when your posture is bent over for 18 years, you can't even look up much less move correctly. And some of you are stuck because of what left your life. You can't even love your husband right because you never got over your last boyfriend. You can't even get with your children right because of what happened to you as a child. And you mourn, and you grieve, and you regret. You're always mad. You see a happy family, you mad. Because the happiness they enjoying, you don't have yourself. You get mad at them, and they ain't never done nothing to you, baby. You hide in your hurt. You never smile. You're never joyful because you stuck in grief and mourning. I'm going to work with you today. The Bible gives you grace. What is the answer for grieving? It's grace. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4, there's a time to weep. But then there's a time to laugh. The Bible says there's a time to mourn. But then there's a time to dance. 
In other words, God gives you a season of grace for you to grieve. He gives you a season of grace for you to mourn. But even God himself says the duration has lasted too long. It is time for you to start dancing and stop being depressed. It's time for you to stop laugh, start laughing and stop crying all the time. And I came by to tell somebody in this room three words. Time is up. Time is up. It's time for us to get over people that left our life. Relationships and friends that you thought would be there forever. People you thought you would be connected to till you died. They left. Learn to say goodbye. How long will you mourn? The answer for your mourning is found in Isaiah chapter 61. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Verse 2 to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. What is the anointing for? To comfort all that mourn and then for those that mourn to appoint to the mourners in the church to give unto them beauty for ashes and the oil of joy for mourning. Somebody say right now, I'm here for the exchange. What are you saying, Pastor Rick? You're going to trade in your mourning and you're going to leave this building with the oil of gladness. You're going to trade in your depression and you're going to leave this building dancing. You're going to trade in your crying and you're going to leave this building with a laughter in your heart. The joy of the Lord is your strength and I feel the oil of gladness trying to let loose in this building. Tell your neighbor you've been sad too long. You've been down too long. You've been depressed too long. You've been mad too long. Get over it and get the oil of joy and the oil of gladness and move on. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to praise him like you love him. If I've noticed anything in my travels, in the last few months, you guys know how many cities I've preached in. And there's one thing that has stood out to me more than any other thing is God's people are so sad. I've gone in churches that I've preached for for years and the praise is gone. The celebration has been extracted from sanctuaries. People will worship, but they won't praise. The dance has left the building. When I saw Mike run this morning with them overalls on, I said, run on, Mike, run on. Run on, Mike, run on. Take your overalls and run on. Just run on, Mike, run on. Because some people won't get it. Some people won't understand it, but I get it. Because all God's asking you to do is just take one step. Mike said, I ain't going to take one. I'm going to run all around this. See, something, there's something powerful about being set free. 
When you've been bound up in sadness long enough and hurt and pain long enough, when God brings deliverance, man, don't look at the door like a mule looking at fresh grass. Don't look at, the, don't, don't look at that door like a mule looking at a fresh painted gate. Go through it. Tell your neighbor, run wide open. My daddy used to say, kick your hind legs, son, and get busy with it. I'm ready for God to set people free. I'm ready for the celebration to come back to the house of God where every time we come in here, the praise is so high that the roof cannot contain the praise of God's people. You need to start thinking about everything good that God has done for you and you need to start thinking less about all that life has done bad to you. God has been better than life has to you. God has been good to you when life stunk for you. So if he's done anything for you, I'm going to ask you to give him praise for at least one thing. At least one thing. God is good. Whew. That is exactly one half of the message. Can I preach part two? Because the power of the verse is, how long will you mourn, comma? Not period, comma. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. The first half is about you mourning, but the second half is about you moving. Tell your neighbor, I mourn long enough. It's time to move. Fill your horn with oil, 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 oil. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. Tell your neighbor, get to stepping, get to stepping. I couldn't get past the first word. I'm telling you, I'm studying this, this, this morning and I get to feel. I can't get past feel. And I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, the Holy Ghost said, I got something about full. The idea of feel or feeling. The word feel, fill your horn with oil. Study it in the Hebrew. It means to be accomplished, to have abundance, to be full. Watch. It means something has ended. Have you ever said these words? I've had my feel of it. Some of us say it like that, or some of us, some of us say it like this. I didn't have all I'm gonna take. Some of us say it like this. That's enough. When my mama was driving us and we was in the back seat. And she said, I done had all I'm going to take. That's when you start ducking and dodging. Because there's a purse or a high heel or something is coming in the back seat. You don't want to hear mama say, I done had all I'm going to take. And what God is saying here is I've done had my feel with you being depressed. I've done had my feel. 
And it's time for you to say, I've had enough of being stuck in the place of depression, discouragement, despondency. If you ain't had enough, this message ain't gonna mean a jack hill of beans to you. But if you've had enough, of being where you are, then this message is gonna register with revelation for you to get up out that place and move on. Tell your neighbor, I'm about to move on. Woo! There ain't nothing that I understand. You can sit down, because I'm gonna preach for another just a few minutes. There ain't nothing that frustrates me more than being in a car with somebody and watching their gas needle. And you know that the thing is saying 19 miles to empty. And you're thinking, bro, how long do we have to go? And he says, 15 miles. Well, I ain't playing with four miles. Your thing could be wrong. And then you tell them, bro, pull over, bro, get some gas. Get some gas, brother. And they pull over and they pump $10. $10 ain't getting you three gallons in this day and age. And I'm thinking, bro, you just really put $10 in your gas tank? $10. Here. Put another $20, please. Or no, take my credit card and fill the dead gum thing up. And that's how most people do with church. They get just enough oil this Sunday to get them to next Sunday. I came by to tell you, quit coming to the house of God and asking him for $10 worth. God, just get me over this headache. God, just get me over that fuss with my wife. No, ask God, fill me all the way up. Give me the Holy Ghost until there ain't nothing left. I dare you to throw both hands up and scream it as loud as you can. Fill me up, Lord. Say it again. Fill me up, Lord. Fill me up, Lord. Fill me up. And the Holy Ghost said to me again, I got a thing about full. And he brought me to Acts chapter 2. Where the Bible says on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, was what? Fully come. Everything was accomplished. It was the end of one thing and the beginning of another thing. God said enough is enough. I'm about to let go of the Holy Spirit now. I've done my work. Jesus has done his work. But now I'm about to let the Holy Ghost go on these people. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, suddenly there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind and it filled. A 
enough with half full services of the Holy Ghost. Oh, the Lord touched a few people during praise and worship and we had a little, no, I want a takeover. I want the Holy Ghost to come in here like a rushing mighty wind and fill the house where we are sitting until the preacher came preach and the singer came sing and the musician came play and you can't observe. I dare you to say, Lord, fill the house. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, suddenly there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the house where they were sitting and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. Out of your belly shall flow, flow li living water, rivers of living water. I'm praying that God fills you up to the point that you can't keep your praise silent. You can't keep your worship worship quiet you cannot keep your shout turned down but God will so fill you up that something's got to come up out of you until there's an overflow out of your life fill the house fill the sanctuary fill and they were all filled they were all what filled see when a thing is full there this is what the Holy Ghost spoke to me. There is no vacancy. You remember when you used to drive by them motels and them little signs out there would say, no vacancy. Instead of saying we are full, they would say there is no vacancy. In other words, we don't have room for anyone else. Here's how much the Holy Spirit wants to fill you that you hang a tag off your heart that says no vacancy. There's not room for anything else because I'm so filled. I'm just checking you. I just want to know if anybody in here wants to get full today. You know what I prayed for you today? That the Lord will fill you so much of the Holy Ghost that you will have trouble eating lunch today. Somebody shout, no room. No room to play. No room for regret. No room for distractions. No room for gossiping. No room for hating on people. No room for demonic activity. No room for drug addiction. No room for soul ties. No room to commit adultery. No room to commit fornication. No room to get distracted. No room to get detoured. No room to get down. No room to get depressed. No room to get despised. Throw your head back and shout, no room. No room for the devil to play with your mind because you are so full of the Holy Ghost that the devil can't find a way in to your heart or your mind or your spirit. You are so full. Fill your horn with oil. Hmm. Thought about the horn. Whew. Fill your horn. Give me that horn. There's a horn. Lance saw my title. I appreciate guys like Lance. Lance saw my title on Facebook, send me a picture of this horn, and he said, I got it if you want it. I said, bring it because I may call on it. And he brought it. 
fill your horn with oil and be on your way. The horn all through scripture is a sign of being dignified with strength. The honor, this is the honor of the people. David said it like this, the Lord is my rock and my fortress. He is my deliverer. The God of my rock in him will I trust. He is my shield and he is the horn of my salvation. The word horn is mentioned 93 times in the Bible. Let me tell you about this horn. There is no horn to feel without sacrifice. Something had to die to provide that. Did y'all just hear what I said? Something had to die for this horn to be in my hand. Something was given up. Something was sacrificed. Tommy, Tommy McGregor will tell you this. When you tip the horns of cows, we were doing it at his ranch the other day with some cows that I have, and we were team ropers, and so we needed some of their horns to be docked or cut off or tipped. And when you do that, that blood will shoot three, four, five feet. Am I right, Richard? It'll shoot out there where because there's blood in that horn. Y'all missing that right there. Too many people trying to get to the oil, but they ain't been through the blood. So you can't have the oil until you go through the blood. And many of you need to throw your hands up and say, God, wash me in your blood. Wash me in your cleansing blood. The blood that Jesus shed for me way back on Calvary. It reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. Lord, send your blood. You don't hear preachers preaching about the blood no more. What happened to the blood? Somebody shout, bring the blood back. Without the blood, you can't be saved. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. You can't have a horn filled with oil without blood. I dare you to plead the blood over your children. I dare you to plead the blood over your babies. I dare you before your babies get on that school bus, you lay your hands on them and you tell them, baby, I plead the blood of Jesus over you. Nothing's going to happen at your school today. No shooter's going to come up on that property. You're not going to lose your life. You're not going to give in to peer pressure. You're not going to start doing drugs with your buddies. No, I plead the blood of Jesus over you. I finish this message when you get to book, the book of Leviticus chapter 4 I say I love it when you stand there man you stand there as long as you want to because I preach right to you when you get to Leviticus chapter 4 you find an altar and the Bible says in the four corners of that altar there was horns and the Bible says when the priest went into that tabernacle that they would grab hold of the four horns of the altar. But watch this, Joe. They wouldn't do it until those horns were smeared with the blood of a sacrificed lamb. They would smear those horns with blood, and then they would grab hold of those horns. That's the asylum. That's the safe place. When you're holding on to the horns of the altar, the devil cannot do to you what he wants to do to you. 
I came by to tell you, grab hold to the horns of the altar and hold on for dear life. Grab hold to the horn of your salvation and tell the devil, you don't scare me. You don't mess with me. I'm in the tabernacle of God and I'm holding on to the horns of the altar. He said, take that horn and fill it with oil. I'm about done. The oil is very specific in its nature because the bearership of the beginning or the introduction of oil to the people of God rests on the shoulders of Aaron and his sons, the priesthood, which tells me you can't even worship right without the oil. You can't even worship right without the anointing. It represents illumination to brighten. If he told him to feel it, then doesn't that mean it was empty? Yeah. Doesn't that mean it wasn't full? I'm asking you today to allow God to feel you. With the oil, with the anointing, with the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. The power of the horn filled with oil is this. Woo! It makes you move. Fill your horn, Vicky, with oil and what? Be on your way. I'm going to say it another way. Fill your horn with oil and get unstuck. Fill your horn with oil and take a step. Make a move. Move on. You will never get to next until you're willing to leave now. All right, you ready for this? God told him, fill your horn and be on your way. Watch this, Carrie. I have a long-term plan, and your temporary pain is hindering it. Y'all just missed that. I have a long-term plan. But your pain is altering or hindering my plan. I need you to get over it so that I can engage my long-term plan. He already saw a little shepherd boy tending sheep, waiting for the oil to arrive in Bethlehem, but saw you over here crying about what I cast off and I can't get the oil to the shepherd because you refuse to move. I'll stop. I'm going to close it because I'm, ha- I'm really halfway done. I'm going to close it. No, I'm going to pick it up. We, we, you know, we're taking pauses last week, JC, next week, Trey. But that other week, I'm getting back on it. Because we're going to Bethlehem that next week. Watch this. When your horn is filled with oil, your horn starts pushing you 
in a direction. He said, be on your way. Now, you would think he was going to some magnanimous place filled with majesty and glory. And God says, be on your way and go to Bethlehem. Bethlehem? See, when you're full of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost will take you to prophetic places that you underestimated the value of. You thought it didn't count. And what you didn't know is that's where the Savior would be born. And he said, when you get there, anoint the one that I indicate. And we're going to get on it in two weeks. Because seven of them passed by from Eliab to Shammah. And each time God said, not him, not him, not him. And he gives us a secret. He said, stop looking at his height. God ain't in the height, he's in the heart. Ooh, good God in mercy. It not only takes you to the most unlikely places, but when you really feel, it takes you to the most unlikely people. People that were left out when everybody else was in the house. People that were left out. The anointing will take you to the left out people. It will take you to people that have been rejected, people that have been disappointed, people that have been disallowed. You cannot afford to be running on a flask when God gave you a horn. I'm going to say it again. You cannot afford to be running on a flask when God gave you a horn. Fill your horn with oil, oil, oil. It's inseparable from the anointing. The anointing is inseparable from the Holy Spirit. You can't have the oil without the anointing. And you can't have the anointing without the Holy Spirit. Feel yourself full of oil and be on your way. That's why the prophet says the anointing breaks the yoke. The yoke makes you stuck. But the oil breaks the yoke. You know what? Lift your hands because some of you are about to break a soul tie in here. You're yoked with somebody that you're not supposed to be yoked with. You talk to them in secret. You talk to them in private chat rooms. You talk to them through direct message. You talk to them on Snapchat because you know it will disappear and maybe no one will find out. You're stuck. The anointing breaks the yoke. You cannot afford you cannot afford to carry a horn of salvation and it not be filled with oil. When you're filled with oil, you don't have time to entertain 
promiscuity. When you're filled with oil, you don't have time to be filled with wrong relationships. Oh, I'm on this thing. I feel the Holy Ghost talking to me. Woo. Woo. You're saying, I can't, I can't pull away from her, Pastor Rick. I don't know what it is. I'm just, I'm just tired. I can't imagine. I break it now in Jesus' name. I break it now. And let me tell you what the Holy Ghost is telling me right now. You're not in love. You're in lust. What you're infatuated with is the edge. What are you saying, Pastor Rick? If it wasn't edgy, you wouldn't be involved because if you had to commit to her, you wouldn't last. You're enjoying hiding it. You're enjoying the suspense of covering it from your wife or your husband. It's the edge that's got you entertained. It's edgy. We're sneaking off. You are captivated by the devil himself. Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. Pastor, no one will ever find out about this. Oh, the Holy Ghost already knows. I wish you would stand on your feet and engage with me. Because there's people. See, if I'm a man or woman of God and my pastor's going off like that prophetically, I am interceding right now. Yeah, I'm interceding right now. Because God's trying to save a marriage. He's trying to save a life. He's trying, he's trying to, and hey, I'm going to tell you again, how long will you mourn over what God said, let go of it? Some of you need to be delivered over grief about stuff in your past. You still carry grief about. You're still mourning. You can't get, some of you just can't get over a season in your life. Some of you can't get over the hurt from a pastor. You're still dealing with the pastor hurts you. And it's five years down the road and you're still mad that the pastor hurts you. You're dealing with church hurt. I can't get over my church hurt me. You ain't never getting to Bethlehem while you're carrying that bitterness. I'm telling you, if I'm you, I would get to this altar right now and say, God, fill me up till there's no vacancy.